0: It's good to be back with you this evening. If you would, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to notice verses 23 through 29. Hebrews chapter 12, 23 through 29. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the Mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped, not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire." The kingdom of Christ is the greatest institution that the world has ever known. Throughout Scripture, Christ's kingdom has been identified as and is the church, the one for which He gave His life, Acts 20, verse 28. Jesus instructed that the kingdom and the church were in fact the same things when He said, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Paul identified the kingdom when he said this, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Colossians 1, 13 and 18. Now in the passage that we have just read, the Hebrews writer, he is discussing the account of when the law of Moses was handed down on Mount Sinai. He makes the point that when God spoke, the mountain shook. He went on to say that, not only would God shake the earth, but also He would shake heaven. But the unshakable would remain and not be shaken. Now it is declared, the kingdom of Christ shall not be moved, Hebrews twelve twenty-eight. <clears throat> he also said those who received the kingdom... The one that cannot be moved are those same ones who have come into the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, Hebrews 12, 23. One in the same. Now Christ promised that the church would last forever. He promised that it would come with power, Mark 9, verse 1. And that happened on the very first Pentecost following the death of our Savior and the resurrection, Acts 1 verse 8. After Peter preached that day, we know the history of that account and the Lord added unto the church all those who were being saved, Acts 2 verse 47. Now because the kingdom is steadfast, which means it will remain forever, also meaning the temporary things will be done away. Now those who are not members of this kingdom shall be moved. So we have to be members of the kingdom if we want to never be moved. The writer of Hebrews said, and that kingdom shall not be moved. We sing a song, or it used to, I can remember as a, as a young man growing up, we used to sing the song, I shall not be moved like a tree planted by the waters. Now that, the idea of that song comes from Psalm verse uh, chapter 1. But the eye shall not be moved comes from Hebrews chapter 12. And the kingdom shall not be moved. And that's what the Lord meant. The church will endure forever and nothing can destroy it. And nothing can destroy the faithful members of it. After all, we are the church. We make up the church. In fact, the church is so strong, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about tonight. The strength of the church. This idea that the church shall not be moved. It is so strong that even the power of Satan cannot kill the church and he cannot move its members. I want us to understand exactly how Satan exercises his power in the world. He not only goes after Christians, he would like for people to never obey the gospel. makes it a lot easier for him if he can just keep us simply from obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan will attack the church collectively and its members individually. But what he attacks first is the seed. He will attack the seed. Now we learn that Christ taught us the seed is the Word of God. We learned that in Luke 8, 8, verse 11. And that is where Satan makes his first attack. Now I want us to notice this parable for just a moment if Satan can prevent someone from believing the gospel he will prevent them from obeying the gospel he will prevent them from becoming New Testament Christians now that parable Jesus shows that Satan comes and in his words he says taketh away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved now of course we know that to be the seed that fell by the wayside and the birds came by and ate it up and took it away, and it didn't even have an opportunity to take root into the soil. But the apostle Paul made the same point to the Corinthians. He said this, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, now notice, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God should shine unto them. How exactly does the God of this world... Now, we're not to understand Paul trying to place Satan up on some kind of a pedestal and make him deity. He says the God of this world. The God of worldliness. He's not deity. He's the ruler of this world when it comes to sinful things and things of the flesh. But how does he go about blinding the minds of people who would obey the gospel. And as we look at the Bible and we understand the limitations that Satan has, <clears throat> he is definitely limited in his ability to do things. Now there was a time when Satan could do more things than he can do now. We go back to Job and and we begin to read the first couple of chapters of that book and we see that at a time in the past, Satan had the ability and the authority to Touch a person individually. He touched Job, didn't he? Destroyed his children. Took away all of his wealth. Took away his health. His wife even turned on him. Now Satan cannot do that any longer. He has been chained. He can no longer do that to us. But he can still do things. So how is it that he blinds the minds of people who might obey the gospel? He does it with things, doesn't he? He does it with those things that are in the world, things that tempt us. He, he hinders someone from sowing the seed because they may say, well, they're not going to believe anyway. Well, that's seed thrown down by the wayside. Have you ever thought that? I've thought that before. I'm not going to waste my time with that certain individual because he's not going to believe anyway. Well, that seed sown by the wayside. That's one way that Satan does it. He blinds the people to the message and they do not respond to it positively. That's how he does it. Now we need to view Satan in the proper light. Satan has failed at all of his missions in this, in his existence. He has failed at every single one. He hasn't succeeded in any of them. He tried to fight against God and he failed. He tried to stop God from uh, allowing Christ to go to the cross and he failed. He tried to stop the spread of the gospel and he failed. It only went further and greater. And he tries to keep people out of heaven today. And the only way he can be successful is if we allow him to be successful. Now even though he hasn't stopped the seed from being sown, he does not give up. He will continue to attack the seed, but it will continue to be sown. So after the seed is sown he then necessarily has to turn his attention to the saints. He will attack the saints. Look, we're in his crosshairs. He never gets tired and he never gives up. He never has to stop and rest. He is on a continual mission. And Peter aptly described him when he said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, First Peter 5.8. Peter's warned us to be discreet. He's warned us to be watchful. He's warned us to be on our guard because Satan will use every means that he is able to attack the saints. Now think about it. He does not have to waste his time on people who are not members of the New Testament church. People who are not members of the church of Christ. How many in the world is that? He doesn't have to worry about over 7 billion people. We are a fraction of that number. He spends all of his time trying to cause Christians to fall because it doesn't take that much effort for him to continue the world going in the way it's going. Now he has to pay some attention to that, no doubt. But he spends a majority of his time trying to cause us to stumble. Paul warned. He said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Listen, Satan cannot sneak up on us. He has not snuck up on us. We know for a fact what he does and how he does it. We know exactly how he tempts people. Three avenues. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That is all he's ever had, but he uses them well. And he is very destructive. So how do we go about thwarting the attacks of the the saints by Satan? What do we do? Well, James said this. He said, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now I used to quote the last part of that verse quite often. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That can't happen until we submit to God. We must first submit ourselves therefore to God then we can resist the devil and flee from him. Notice the great examples we have throughout the Bible of good men and women who resisted the devil. The first things are one of the first people that crosses my mind aside from Christ himself in the desert Matthew chapter 4, is Joseph. He resisted the temptations of this life. Why? He submitted to God. He gave himself to God. He devoted himself to God. The church is powerful. The kingdom is powerful. Satan's power can't stop it. But the membership has to be powerful. And we have to be aware that Satan's going to attack the seed. He's going to attack saints and we have to resist him. But we have to first submit to God. All we have to do to resist the power of Satan is this. Paul said, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Submit to God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6, 10-11. Have you ever thought about that idea in depth about put on the whole armor of God, exactly what that means? That is a life-changing event. A life-changing event. I read an article one time exactly talking about exactly how long it took to don physical armor. That's a process. One man could could not do it by himself. He had to have someone to help him. Had to have someone to put the mail on. Had to have someone to help him begin to put the other things on. Well, look, when we talk about putting on the... The, uh, uh, the armor of God it is just as in depth it means we devote ourselves to God we give ourselves to Him wholly and fully if we're going to carry the helmet of salvation we have to be girt about with truth we have to have the shoes or our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, we have to carry the sword of the spirit, we have to have all of those things and that means a life dedicated to God that is exactly why Satan cannot move the church. He cannot move the kingdom because we are prepared. At least we ought to be, right? And I think most of us are. That doesn't mean we're we know all that we need to know, but it does say that we are dedicated to the cause of Christ. We put forth the effort that is needed. And if we do that, we shall not be moved. Because after all, we are the kingdom. The kingdom should not be moved by the power of Satan. Now, Satan is the root of all evil. He is the cause of every problem in the world. But now let's look at some of his other tactics. We're not going to be moved by the power of Satan in that he will attack the seed and he will attack saints. But the kingdom will not be moved from the pressures of the world. Now again, of course, that comes from Satan... But notice how He does it. Not everyone who heard the Word during the first century obeyed it. Just as everyone who hears the Word in our time doesn't obey it. There have always been faithless people in the world, but the kingdom shall not be moved. Such unbelief then could not destroy the church, and it will not destroy it now. Christ knew all about the unbelief. The apostles fought against it particularly Paul and Peter and James, fought against the heresy of Gnosticism. Some did believe, though, and because some did believe, the kingdom grew. Paul described, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. They said it's wise not to know God. They're claiming to have wisdom. He says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 1 Corinthians one through 18-21. While the faithless scoff and they make fun of those who believe in God, those who live a godly life, the message of the cross remains today the power of God unto salvation to those who will accept it. Romans 1.16 Do you recall when John and Peter were arrested for preaching Christ? They evidenced the fact that Christ could do the miraculous through them that they could heal people, and how ineffective the faithless were in stopping them and shutting them down. It didn't happen, did it? They would not stop preaching. In fact, they proclaimed this, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Not only would they not stop preaching in the name of Jesus, they said He's the only one. We're not going to stop showing forth the things that we've seen. And they went on to say that. He said, <clears throat> they were arrested again, and they said, you shall not teach in His name. And they said, behold. They told them, you filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. They had gone everywhere talking about Jesus. They healed the lame man. They said, stop preaching in His name. They said, we won't do it. They said, you filled the whole area with, with this doctrine, Acts 5.28. And that's when Peter and John said, and we're very familiar with that, they said, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, you judge. They said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts four nineteen through 20. They were filled with the desire to spread the kingdom of God. And the faithless did not stop them, could not stand in the way. They tried to oppose them. But they took their beatings and kept right on going, didn't they? Do we feel that way? I hope we do. I hope we feel like Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I will not make mention of Him, nor speak any more in His name. He promised, didn't He? He said, I'm not going to talk about the Lord anymore. But notice, but His Word was in my heart, as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay, Jeremiah 29. Such opposition from the faithless could not move the kingdom. Couldn't move it then. Brethren, it will not move it today. Now they're going to keep going. But if we stand firm, the efforts of men like those who who stood strong and allowed the kingdom to be strengthened, encouraged the rest of us, didn't they? I can remember for years and years, I can recall Brother Curtis Cage saying, we're not doing anything but standing on the shoulders of the faithful that came before us. That's the truth, isn't it? We look at what these men have done. We understand that that the faithless cannot stop us. It doesn't matter what they say or what they do. We keep right on going. But there's another aspect of the pressures in the world that, that come about and, and normally have a little bit more luck than just the faithless. We have those who are false teachers. False teachers have always reared their heads among God's people. Now a false teachers not going to come in and we, we see the uh, examples of them and the descriptions throughout the New Testament. A false teacher doesn't come in and announce his intentions. He doesn't come in and say, I've got a plan that in five years we're going to be doing things differently in the White Oak Church of Christ. We're going to have an instrument, we're going to have our sisters preaching and praying, and we're going to be doing all kinds of things different than what you're doing now. That's not what a false teacher does. A false teacher will come in, he sneaks in, the Lord said, from the back door, and he begins to change little things here and there, and you get used to that one, then they make a bigger change, and then a bigger change, and then another change, and then the next thing you know, it's an apostate church. Notice how Peter described them. He warned, saying, "...but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies." Even denying the Lord that brought them, or that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. See, they sneak it in a little at a time. Now, Satan has gotten very good at that. He's gotten very good at throwing a once sound congregation off track. Do we know any congregations of the Lord's people like that? They're in every place where the church has ever existed. Once sound members of the church gone astray. Now, the thing we need to remember, people are going to teach false doctrine, but the truth is the truth and it's always going to be the truth. It doesn't make any difference how we change it. Christ said that, didn't He? He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but My words shall not pass away. Not going to happen. The temporal things of this earth are going to end, and the earth itself. But what He says will always be relevant. The words He spoke were truth because they came from the Father. Notice in his prayer, he said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. How are we set apart? How are we sanctified? Through the Word of God. The Word of God is what separates us. It's what makes us alive. If we'll be obedient to it. John warned, he said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 1 John 4, 1. It is so dangerous in the religious world today. We talk with people that we love and and we beg and we plead with them, and they have just accepted something that cannot be found in the Scripture. And some false teacher will answer for that one day. Now, that is exactly what successful Christians did 2,000 years ago. They tried the spirits, they didn't take someone's word for it, they were careful, they understood. And Jesus recognized that when He said this. He said, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Revelation 2.2 See, even in those seven churches, two of which were, were sound and just needed some encouragement to continue in that way, see, two out of the seven... They tried the spirits. They weren't going to take the word for someone that showed up and said, hey, I'm an apostle. Those in Berea wouldn't do that. We talked about them this morning, Acts 17.11. They received the word with readiness of mind, but they searched the Scriptures. They wanted to make sure what they were learning was exactly what God wanted them to learn. The kingdom shall not be moved. It's not going to be moved by the faithless, It's not going to be moved by false teachers. Christ will never allow the truth to be destroyed. It will always be with us. And as we look at the idea of the kingdom not being moved, it's not going to be moved by the power of Satan. It's not going to be moved by the pressures of this world. Let me tell you why, in my opinion, the main reason it will never be moved is because of the promise that Christ made to us. He made a promise. I almost noticed the first part of His promise was that He would save those who were members of His church. That's what the writer of Hebrews said, right? He would save those who were a part of that kingdom, a part of that church. He told Peter and the other apostles, He said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a guarantee of protection. He says, "That's not nothing's going to happen. You remain faithful. You die in the Lord. It doesn't make any difference what Satan tries to do. But that's what the writer of Hebrews talked about. He said, people who are part of that church, a part of the kingdom, they're going to be saved. And Jesus promised that. We shall not be moved because Christ cares for us. He loves us. He wants to lead us in the right way. And he told the apostles, as they went out fulfilling fulfilling the great commission, he said, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Matthew 28, 20. I want us to, to think about just exactly how Christ, how much he loves the church. He loves us. And Paul used the example of the husband and wife. Christ, Loves and protects the church in exactly the same way a faithful husband loves and protects his wife. Paul said, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a huge statement, isn't it? That means something. When we see how Christ loved the church and how he gave himself for it, and then we see how we're supposed to love our wives and give ourselves for our wives if need be, we begin to understand the great love that Christ has for the kingdom. And we can, we can take encouragement and comfort from Paul's words to Timothy. He said, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against the day. Paul said, I know exactly who I believe in. He said, I know exactly who I've dedicated myself to. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And God will do exactly what He said He will do. He promised to care for the church. He promised to care for the members of the church that make up the body, the kingdom. And we know that Christ is the head of the church. And He is the Savior of the body. Ephesians 5.23 He's our head. He's our Master. He's our leader, but He's also our Savior. You know, there have been bodies of organizations throughout history who had leaders who cared a whole lot for them. In particular, I think about the military. When I think about this, we've had leaders of military units that loved those men and women under their command. Were they always able to save them, though? No. We've lost untold number of faithful soldiers to the American cause in war. Their leaders were good leaders, but they could not always save them. See, Christ is different. He loves us and He will save us. He's promised to save the church, but He's also promised that no one can steal us away from it. No one can steal us away from it. Jesus said this. He said, My Father which gave them Me is greater than all, And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. John 10, 29. Now we have to understand that statement. We have to understand that no one can make us leave the safety of the Father. No one can make us leave the church. But we can leave the church on our own. No one can pluck us from His hand. No one can force us out. But we can leave. Have we ever known someone to leave the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. God's not going to make us stay. I remember when, when I was in uh, in India this last time, up in the northeast part of the state, and we were preaching at a at a Catholic church. And I warned those people there. I said, "Now, when when the leaders of the Catholic church hear that we've been here, and they understand now that you, that you people want to study the Bible and you understand that what you've been doing is wrong," I said, "They're going to come in here and they're going to threaten you. They're going to threaten you if you leave." I said, "Christ didn't do that." Do you remember those who, who left and only because they were wanting the food and, and Christ just let them go? I said, God was not, will not make you stay. I said, keep that in mind. In his answer to what shall we say to these things, Paul talking about the security that we have in God, he said, if God be for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter who stands up against us. Can someone take our lives physically? Well, that might happen. I'm glad that it's not a threat now in our own nation, but it is still a threat in other nations around the world. Just a few sentences later in his letter, Paul restated the promise to the faithful. He asked, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he begins to list things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine starvation, nakedness, peril, the sword, wars. He lists all of these things and he said, who can separate us from Christ? No one, nothing. That goes right back to what Christ said about the safety of God's hand. No one can pluck us out of His hand. He goes on to say, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. There's no thing or no power in existence that can make us leave God's hand. That's why the kingdom will not be moved. It will never be destroyed. And we can take comfort in that. If we're faithful members of the unmovable kingdom, we too shall not be moved. that's That's the comfort of that. If you're not a member of the kingdom, that's the church of Christ. Sometimes, I've talked with friends of mine, who are preachers, and I understand where they're coming from. They seem to often not want to make that statement, we're members of the church of Christ. Because in some ways it's been denominationalized in the world, it hasn't. it. We're not the church of Christ, the denomination. We're the church of Christ, the church Christ established, the church for which He died, the church that He bought with His own blood, the church in which we are added to it through baptism, through obedience, through faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, and faithful living, that is the church of Christ that we're talking about. If we're not members of the church of Christ, then that we're, we're not members of His church. We're not talking about some denomination. We're talking about the New Testament church about which we read, In the Bible. They get a little nervous sometimes. And they seem like they don't want to make that statement. Let's make that statement. Let's do it properly. Let's be members of the church of Christ. Sometimes we can leave the church. We talked about that, but we can always come back. God told us that if we will confess our faults, we pray to Him, ask Him to forgive us, He's faithful and just to do that. If you find yourself in either situation tonight, You need to answer this Lord's invitation. Let's not leave here tonight not being in a covenant relationship with God. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.